Greetings one and greetings all. We are back and better than ever as we extend into the wonderful world of leadership through the Leadership Conversation. What is TLC? Well, I am so glad you asked. It's the podcast series from the Center for Leadership and Character at William Woods University that aims to answer the critical ethical questions facing leadership that our world needs us to answer most. I am Tony Andernaro, Executive Director for the Center for Leadership and Character and the Chief Advancement Officer at this fine university. And I get the privilege of being your host, nay, guide, on this dynamic deluge of dialogue. As always, I am joined by my trusty graduate assistants, Kayla Daniels. Hello, everyone. And Cassie Phillips. Hello. All right. So now that we have perspective for our pathway to promise that will ultimately inform our leadership journey for our listeners, let's go to work. Our guest today is someone that I met about a year ago, and I've marveled about the depth and thoughtfulness that she brings to the classroom. She devotes countless hours to the craft of teaching, considering everything from our largest problems to the smallest details in an effort to create an engaging student experience. We are so lucky to have her at the woods as a beacon of positivity and without question, the first person to smile at you when, and welcome you just about at every single event that happens on our campus. As a member of the School of Business and Technology faculty, she serves as an instructor of cybersecurity. Crew, without further delay, dally, or superfluous dialogue, please join me in welcoming the wonderfully passionate principal of persistence, the czar of cyber, the extremist of engagement and enthusiasm, instructor of cybersecurity from right here on our beautiful William Woods University campus, the often imitated but never ever duplicated, Nina McKee. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, it's so good to have you. How are you today? Oh, really good. I've been enjoying this kind of warmer November weather, so oh my gosh. Uh, glad, especially after that couple cold days there. Yes, every plant in my yard is dead. Oh no. Um, the cold <laughs> did not treat them well. Probably yeah. I shouldn't get tropical plants and then try to plant them in Missouri, but but hey, it is what it is. I'm learning a lot from a horticultural perspective. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Nina, we are so glad that you're here. We're going to jump right into the questions. Um, you know, as, as I was preparing for our interview today, I got so excited because your commitment to the students and their success, it is next level. I, I'm wondering, where does that come from and how do you maintain your awesome energy so you can consistently put your best foot forward with them? Absolutely. So a lot of sort of my motivations and stuff comes from thinking about when I was a student and what were the activities and the things I really enjoyed. And then what were things that I thought about that, oh, I wish I could have done that or if we had had this sort of opportunity. And so actually when I was a student here at William Woods, there was what was known as the student website advancement team. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was a part of that and I got to do a lot of great hands-on projects and field trips. And so trying to incorporate some of those elements into just the, the classwork as well. So last, maybe not last Friday, two Fridays ago, October 27th, I was able to take students to a cybersecurity conference. And that oh, was so cool. a really yeah great opportunity for them. Uh, I brought students of all ages, um, so freshmen through senior. Uh, it was open to all the cybersecurity majors on campus. And we got to hear from speakers at Google, CrowdStrike, uh, KPMG, a lot of great places. Awesome. Tell us more about the conference. What was it? Yeah, so it was called uh, the STL CyberCon. It was hosted by UMSL, or University of Missouri, St. Louis. Um, and so their cyber department put it on. It was about a half day. So cool. we got a very 
very, very early in the morning, 5.30 a.m., got a, into the van, but uh, got there for some, some early breakfast, some registration, got nice. to hear a great keynote speaker, and then got to really hear about what employers in the cybersecurity space are looking for. So a lot of them really broke down, this is what we like to see on resumes, or these are great skills or resume builders yeah. you can do, which yeah. I think was very uh, powerful for my students there. How uh, many students went with you? Uh, so we took nine of the 13 on-ground majors. Oh, yeah, that's the, of awesome. everyone who was available. Yeah, so I was very happy that I got to take almost all of us with uh, and, the group. And it was an all-day-long conference, or was it multiple days? It was uh, It was like 8 a.m. to 1 p.m., uh, and then we stopped for some lunch on the way back and got home around 4-ish. So as you're stopping for lunch and then on that long drive home, um, what were the conversations like? Were they, they excited? Like, what, what was the impact of that conference on them? Yeah, so I think for the students, it was getting those sort of additional perspectives. Since I am yeah. like the primary on-ground instructor for cybersecurity, they have me for all their classes, which is really awesome. And right. I get to develop great relationships with them. But one thing I was very excited for is that they got to hear from other organizations and especially other women in the space. And so, um, oh, yeah. great. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, it's neat. I, you know, I'm always fascinated when we give the students an opportunity to experience something that can hopefully help them to grow outside the classroom. I think that's the, the hallmark of high-impact practices that the AACNU talks about. And then, you know, also just the idea of experiential learning. I mean, we have to create this experience so then they can then reflect upon it and learn from it. And so that's super cool. You know, I, I think it's probably one and the same with, with your teaching philosophy. And what I've, what I've noticed is your teaching often takes the mundane, sometimes even boring material, and it transforms it through this really cool gamification <laughs> of the learning environment. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about what you do and then where you get your ideas from. Yeah, so a, a lot for the game. So a little bit about, I guess, my personal life. I really enjoy video games. Like I play across multiple different platforms. And so uh, any place I can sort of... Uh, introduce gamification or some of those principles in there, I feel like it's a more engaging experience and the students get more out of it. Uh, and it makes it fun for me to prep for class because if I can make my job even more fun, why, why wouldn't I there? So um, one of the games in particular that students really tend to enjoy, I adapted something known as the social engineering game. Hmm. Uh, and it's similar, think like Among Us, but without the crewmate tasks. And so there's a group that are the social engineers or, or sort of the imposters, if you would think of it. And then yeah. the other group is your traditional end users or sort of your crewmates, if we're using that metaphor. Um, and throughout the game, the students don't realize it at first, but they're using social engineering techniques, which is like manipulation and deception to gain information from other people. And so I also build my lecture for that topic into that game. So they're still getting that along the way instead of it just being like a traditional lecture. So is it, is it kind of like taking the game of Mafia and like the card game Mafia it's literally and spinning like it's, that into yeah. a, a cyber world, a social engineering world? Yeah. So oh it's pretty gosh. much a one-to-one -one there um, as far as the, so everyone gets cool. a card and that's their role. And so um, the big difference being I do attack and defend rounds versus night and day rounds. Ooh, and, cool. Yeah. Um, and so the idea of once there is uh, potentially someone who's been eliminated, uh, I'll build in like, oh, there was a USB, an unmarked USB device on the ground there. Uh, this is what's oh. known as a baiting attack. And so, uh, so-and-so, I'm sorry to say, you were caught by the, the baiting attack. And so that's how we build in the different social engineering techniques into that game. 
Oh my gosh, that's so great. I mean, it's like, you know, when when everybody wakes up in mafia and you say, oh, you know, Sally was walking down the street and, you know, she fell into a manhole and yeah. sorry, it's no more Sally. Yeah. That's so great. I yeah. love the connection with the USB and the baiting and oh my gosh, that's yeah. so fantastic. So you were saying that students get more out of these experiences. Like, I think there's a tremendous body of literature that really speaks to this. It's, we know that gamification can have a profound impact on student learning because there's a ton of amazing researchers who've devoted their lives to this. People like Stuart Brown with his book Play and Jane McGonigal with her dynamic research on Superbetter um, and, and so many more. But even recently, I've dabbled a little bit within that space. In the last five years, I've connected with a, a dear colleague named Nick Martinez and we're finding that it can have a significant impact on course grades, engagement, positive sentiment across all demographic areas of learners. Um, but unfortunately, oftentimes faculty tend to default to what they've done before at times, almost to the point of ad nauseum. And so considering this, what would you say to those who are considering the merits of gamification within their environments to create a better learning space for our students. Sure. So like I mentioned with the social engineering game, like I didn't invent Among Us or Mafia. Mm -hmm. Like that mm -hmm. was a game adaptation. So that right there can help with the game structure because uh, I'm not like a game designer, but yeah. I'm familiar with games and, and kind of how to put some together or adapt them rather. And then I have an understanding of the content. So how can I sort of integrate the content into there? So that can be one thing. Got I also it. sometimes will do uh, game development, sometimes during the semester, sometimes uh, during the summer. And I like to have on average one game or gamified activity per class, uh, but then I can reuse that. So every year now in Intro to Cyber, we play the social engineering game. Mm -hmm. And then I've done like review Jenga. Um, and so That's just cool. questions, yeah. Sure, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, so I did that at the beginning of my uh, upper level CSS 324 class, that's cybersecurity and internet architecture to see what we remembered from the summer. And uh, I was very happy to see they remembered a lot. And so, uh, that was very positive for me and I think for the students there. And kind of going back to the benefits of gamification, as far as what I see, I just have more like eye contact, more overall engagement versus yeah. if I'm lecturing and then maybe ask a question, I might have some students participating versus everyone kind of actively participating throughout. And so that's always kind of good to, to get that feedback there. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. If you model enthusiasm, passion, excitement, all the things that you exude on a daily basis, inevitably your your students are going to reflect that back at you. And so that's that's a really good point. You know, recently I, uh, I went to the International Leadership Association Conference, wow. and one of the things that they do each year is they do a teach and share. And faculty from around the world come together and they say, this is how I teach leadership. This is my particular activity. And I'm always fascinated because there's a murmuring in the back of the room and there's faculty members who are saying, oh my gosh, that's a really cool thing, but I don't know if I could do that because I'm just not that creative. Where do your ideas come from? And then like, like how would you tell that faculty member, come on, you can get engaged with this. 
Yeah, so I think I'll start with the second part of the question yeah. first. For our faculty, we do a pedagogy and discussion day. Awesome. Uh, and so I actually did a presentation of some of the different games uh, that I use in my classes and made like an interactive workbook. So if anyone was interested in using that, um, you know, you don't have to start from scratch. They might have to put in their own oh, content because so mine's cool. cybersecurity focus. But um, I showed the social engineering game. I showed, so there's a board game called Chameleon. Yeah. If you're familiar with huh, that. No. Um, so it's a little bit kind of that Among Us style um, where you're trying to figure out who the imposter is, or in this case, sure. the chameleon. So there's words on a grid, and you have to determine what the word is. People can give one word clues that don't include the word. So I've used that for cloud security. Um, it's like a version of guess who. A little bit, a little yeah. bit, yeah. Uh, and so I provided templates for that. And so that's one way I try and kind of share with the broader campus community. And then as far as my ideas, I try and start with the content first. And I'm like, okay, what would create a, a good game? Because while I kind of mm -hmm. strive for one game per class, uh, still plenty of other class periods, we do other types of activities sure. or some things are just more or less suited to it. Mm. Um, and so review is a, a good kind of area to focus on with games or uh, introduction of topics and then have them kind of expand upon it is what I, I found. But uh, a lot of my inspiration is, well, I play a lot of video games and, and board sure. games. So what do I feel could work for group size? Because I have sometimes a little smaller classes that certain games work better for. And then when I have larger classes, do we split into teams? Is it individual? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's really neat because you're, so from a learning theory perspective, you're talking about using, you know, different modalities of delivery. I mean, you're really trying to hit every single Learner, we won't say learning styles because we know those were somewhat debunked by neuroscience, but you know, preferences and how, how students want to engage with the people around them. And so I think it's super cool. Um, you know, building upon that, you work in one of the most highly technical areas of our world, cybersecurity. And I have to tell you, I'm a relative novice within <laughs> that area. And so I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what are the most pervasive challenges facing our world from a cybersecurity perspective. Yeah, so uh, that could be a whole podcast in and of I, itself. Right, but I believe that. I'll hit some of the highlights that I especially talk about with like my intro to cyber class. So um, ransomware, even though that's mm. not like new, so to speak, that's really big. And it's starting to become even more so with like higher ed and other like K-12 education. Um, and so I'll describe briefly. So a, a ransomware attack is when you have a threat actor or a group of threat actors that get into a system, usually using some sort of malware or, or that's malicious software. Uh, uh, and then they take the organization's data and want you to, to pay a ransom for it. Or they mm -hmm. say, you have to pay this amount of money or we're not going to give you your data back. And so yeah. a big thing to know with that for organizations or individuals, you don't want to pay that ransom because oftentimes they won't give you the data back or sure. they'll do um, what's known as encrypting the data and mm -hmm. not give you encryption keys or give you ones that don't work. So that's still, even though it's not as new, as maybe other topics, that's still kind of a, a growing area. Yeah. Um, some other ones, there's what's known as APTs, or Advanced Persistent Threats. And this can manifest itself a couple different ways technologically, but this is where a threat actor gets into a system and then they stay there for a long time. Maybe they create a backdoor for themselves. Yeah. Maybe um, that's the persistent part. It, it's very hard to get rid of them there. Um, one thing I read, or, or not read about, but at the conference that they talked a little bit about, and it's not entirely shifting to this, but the idea that cyber attacks are leaning more on kind of user authentication mm. or 
they're coming what's quote-unquote becoming uh, fileless. Now, not entirely, because you can argue back and forth that everything's a file or includes files, but they're becoming less attached to files. Um, and there was a, a really good quote given at the conference that uh, threat actors don't break in, they log on. So it has a lot to Got do it. with user um, kind of a, account authentication and authorization. And so we've seen recently quite a few large cyber attacks. If anyone's uh, heard of the MGM kind of casino attack? No, it happened. Yeah, so the, the really big MGM casino system there. Uh, this was a couple weeks ago. I was talking about this with several of my classes, actually, how that started. Now, there were a lot of things that went wrong. It wasn't just this kind of one point here, but the threat actor group went to LinkedIn to find the names of employees that worked at MGM and then called the help desk impersonating them so they could get, get in. Yeah. And so a lot oh of it has to do with like that user piece of it. Um, malware is absolutely still used in plenty of cyber attacks and that sort of thing. But um, we're seeing a lot of it start to shift to, okay, what credentials do people have and, and impersonating others. That is so wild, the sophistication of that. You know, it's we're, we're, we're talking a lot about cyber, we're talking about education, we're talking about all this stuff, but really, I mean, this is the foundation of how this what you do connects to leadership. Because yeah. if leadership is about assessing risk, managing risk, protecting the organization, doing all the things that we need to do, to create a psychologically safe or, or just safe environment for the people that we work with or for. I mean, ultimately, that's what you're doing every single day. You're trying to cultivate that capacity in your students. Yeah, and a lot of it goes back to the awareness and training. So kind of the awareness and training of my students, and then how are they going to go out and be cyber leaders and cultivate that within their teams? So uh, we always talk a lot about, like, what audience are we speaking to? Because sometimes we're speaking to other cyber professionals who have a little bit more background, and sometimes we're uh, talking to more traditional end users. And so how do we convey the importance of uh, some of these highly technical topics to them and what their role is in helping keep information safe? Got it. Got it. You know, it's we, we're, we're kind of going down a dark tunnel and our listeners might be going, oh God, you know, now I'm worried and stuff like that. But to take this a little further, one of the things that people seem to be consistently worried about right now is the emergence of artificial intelligence. And so I think AI is a tool and much like our phones or any other tool, we should continue to explore how we can leverage AI to create ease and opportunity in our world. Um, from an instructor's point of view, how can we help learners to understand the value of AI and the opportunities for ethical use. Yeah, so this is absolutely something I want to even explore more within my classes. Um, one brief example, uh, I had talked about kind of the pros and cons of AI. So I was using ChatGPT and I showed my students sure. some of this. And so uh, a sort of bad way it could be used, you could use it to generate phishing emails. Um, oh, and, and that wow. could be sent out to people. But the sort of good side of the coin, or, or what it was at one point, so this was several months ago, probably early last semester when I first um, tried this out, I said, can you make a um, sample phishing email? And I didn't put any other parameters in there. And it said, no, sorry, that could be used for something malicious. Whoa. But I was going from like an internal phishing campaign sort of perspective yeah. that, okay, this could be something that when you click on the link, it's not malicious. It brings up resources to say, hey, this is what could have happened um, to make more convincing ones. And so an assignment I give my students, not with the AI specifically, but they have to create sample phishing emails. And then we look through and analyze them and see what techniques they use there wow. um, 
Yeah. And so that's one brief usage of AI. And then it's a little bit of both, right? Because we can use AI to reinforce our cybersecurity tools and different um, event logging systems and that sort of thing. But unfortunately, the hackers and and threat groups can use AI to reinforce their sort of um, tools or... um, like cybercrime as a service is a thing, so yeah. you can pay uh, hackers to conduct cyber attacks and things of that nature. Wow. You know, it, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, I, so I was reading this book. Uh, la- it came out last week. I just, you know, I we've talked about this author on the podcast before, but Adam Grant's book Hidden Potential came out, and you know, one of the things that they talk about within the book is how we can use AI as a tool to help us to evaluate content within you know resumes cover letters things like that so we can narrow down our giant pools of candidates into the ones that best align with our organization the problem with that is ai is pulling data from the past and it's not in consideration of the data for the future so it'll pull gpa but it won't pull gpt grade point trajectory so when students you know their last 60 hours, they see a huge increase because they've, you know, accomplished something, they've moved through adversity, they are a very different and probably more hardy and resilient person. And so now they can achieve better grades. And so it's just a fixed data point that the AI is evaluating. And so I think that there's all kinds of opportunities for good. But again, it's that ethical practice. And I mean, how often do you say the word ethical? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so kind of going back on the, I guess, the information that you yeah. can pull from AI. So I know uh, I've spent some time just with the chat GPT tool just to see what it can do. And mm-hmm. so oftentimes I will ask it for certain information or if you ask it from anything within the last two years, it will tell you that uh, their information that they're feeding into the algorithm doesn't go past 2021. Uh, So knowing that, at least at this point, which I'm sure they're working on updating there, but uh, there's sort of that disclaimer. And then I know before I've asked it just to see if it could pull um, like outlines from different textbook chapters to see, oh, what information could students get hypothetically? And at one point it could pull an outline of a chapter and now uh, it has protections for copyrighted material, which is really good. So they're working all the time to kind of put in safeguards as well, but it's just a matter of keeping up with, um, you know, different ethical implications and um, any way it could be misused, either intentionally or not. Well, and I I love your words, keep up with, because, I mean, technology is accelerating at such a rapid pace that it's, it, it may be pretty challenging to keep up with. A big thing I always talk about in my classes is that technology advances and we innovate and then security is always like kind of trying to keep up behind it because oftentimes it. people don't invent a new technology and then also put together the security controls sure. and then release it to the world, which again, there's pros and cons to that, that we need to be able to try it out and see what either the business case is or um how it will function with other technologies but then when you're always trying to play catch up uh, that can present a challenge for cyber professionals and so uh, there's always something new for us so uh, i i would think and i would also like to think that like big major companies would have foreseen that like there would be ai creation of people on different social media sites and then you know that influence they would be able to track that and prevent that from like corrupting you know, people's data and stuff like that. And, you know, all those things that we hear about probably on a daily basis. 
Um, but maybe, maybe they weren't able to foresee that. I think there has been um, to some degree. It's just the how quickly yeah, it exploded, I think, um, and how much businesses are willing to implement some of these technologies without putting in the safeguards or kind of filtering it in step by step as they can kind of see, okay, what is the impact of this? Here? Got it. So, Got it. Okay, shifting gears a bit. Your passion for William Woods University runs deep. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about how the narratives from your past have informed this passion and led you to being such an amazing instructor. Yeah, so when I was an undergraduate here, we had a program called Management Information Systems. Uh, We called it MIS, and oftentimes if students would ask me, what are you studying? I'd say computers with a business component. Mm. Um, And so that hit on a lot of different topics from like database management, project management, cloud computing, some of these courses we still have in our cyber curriculum. because often to know how to secure systems, you need to know how they work. So um, took those. I also did a minor in political legal studies and then uh, in business administration as well for my other minor there. And I was very involved on campus. So I mentioned the student website advancement team. Uh, I spent quite a bit of time there. I also had the opportunity to run, we had a, a usability lab, which was really cool. So the main focus of Uh, it was called SWAT, but the student website advancement team was to build websites for local businesses and nonprofits. Uh, And subsequently with that, for organizations that already had their websites, we could conduct usability testing, which just a a brief overview of that, there'd be some different tasks we'd bring in users to try and go through on a website, see if they could find the information, see how many clicks it took them, how long it took them to find it, and then if they ultimately failed or succeeded at the task. And we'd aggregate some data and then provide a report and do a presentation for them. So that was kind of another area of technology that I I think is really cool. That um, if I hadn't gone into cybersecurity, I think another area I would have looked at was um, UX, user experience, or or that sort of thing. Because that's also very fascinating to me. But there's a lot of overlap with the human factors and the technology there. Yeah. Or what's known as human computer interaction or HCI. That's really neat. You know, tremendous opportunity for that you had in the past that you know maybe some of our students have today and things like that but from a leadership standpoint as you as you practice leadership you're thinking about complex adaptive systems on a daily basis you're talking about adaptive leadership all these things that probably aren't language that you use within the space of cybersecurity but you're doing this leadership i mean how does your work in your professional life inform how you practice leadership throughout the areas of your life? I think a really good example would be, and we heard about this a little bit at that conference as well, um, when we are cybersecurity professionals, we need to be able to speak multiple languages is how they kind of phrase the metaphor because we need to know the cybersecurity and the tech part of it, but then how do we translate that to business? Um, And and so that's a a big piece of the leadership there, being able to convey what's the impact going to be and sometimes less technical speak. That makes sense. And so that's a a really big piece to that. And and when students do assignments for me, I'll specify, this is for this type of audience. How would you explain that? Or sometimes when I have them do a run-through of a particular presentation, um, you know, I'll ask certain questions. So Cybersecurity Awareness Month was actually October, so last month. And I had some students talk about their internships, which was really great. And so I worked with them and took some time to go through and see, okay, maybe this term should be defined out for someone who hasn't taken any cyber courses yet. Um, Or or maybe this part should be a little bit 
like explained further there. And so a lot of the leadership piece, I, I think, overlaps with those concepts or, and kind of what we heard at the conference. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm listing out all the things that you're hitting on that a leadership educator would go, ooh. And so you're, you're helping them to understand how to communicate effectively. You have a ton of stuff with respect to emotional intelligence and specifically the area of social awareness with how you'll land on someone. Um, you're, you're constantly thinking about it from a, a critical thinking standpoint as you're asking the necessary questions that need to be asked in those given moments. Reflection is a hallmark of everything that you do. And so that goes back to like 1938 and John Dewey. And so I am just like so impressed in how you infuse leadership within the cyberspace. And at the same time, you pull the cyberspace into how you practice leadership. I mean, that's a really neat reciprocal type of environment. And a lot of it's just pretty natural because a lot of um, the jobs that students may look at towards the future. So uh, kind of the big cyber role we sometimes think of a CISO or a CISO, which uh-huh. is a chief information security officer. Um, right. They're kind of the, the main point of accountability for an organization. Sometimes also a CIO or a chief information officer um, will kind of take on those responsibilities. Um, you need to have a good grasp of the business side, of the leadership, as well as the uh, technology and cybersecurity there in order to be successful in that sort of role. Um, and within yeah. that, you can also have like risk managers um, and other managers kind of that fall within that area. It's, it's so neat. You know, you, you have done so many things in such a short amount of time. And I think that's really a testament to just the, the investment and the commitment that you make. But as you look at your career to this point, what are you most proud of? Oh, that's tough. Um, I'll say the field trip is one thing, just taking students off campus for the first time. And I I honestly think the growth of the program. So this is kind of the second year of us having this program on ground. The online Bachelor of Cybersecurity was started in 2018. Uh Um, And so our curriculums align um, between both the on ground and the online. But since I started teaching our our first intro to cyber class last fall, we have 13 on-ground majors. And so just the idea that we've almost doubled the amount of majors like within that time. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that would be one of the things. And then, yeah, field trip, being able to take students off campus and just, I'd say, the breadth of different activities that I've been able to put together for them because we talk about the, the game part a, a lot, right? And so that's really great. And then being able to find free online like technical labs for them to do. Yeah. So there's a cool website called tryhackme.com uh, and they have a premium or uh, pro subscription as well, but they have free what they call rooms, but it's like virtual machines. Oh, neat. That you can try out different cybersecurity tools. And so um, being able to give some of those uh technical experiences, even if we don't build out our entire own virtual environment. Jeez, it's like every day with you in the classroom. It's like an adventure. It's so cool. (laughs) Okay, we're going to transition to the lightning round. Okay. The following questions stem from the questionnaire concept originated by French television personality Bernard Pivot on his show Apostrophes after the Prost questionnaire originated by Dr. Marcel Prost. And then popularized by James Lipton on Inside the Actors Studio. So, Nina McKee, are you ready? I believe so, yes. All right. <laughs> what is your favorite word? Oh, this is supposed to be lightning round. Um, um, <laughs> because it's right in front of me. I'm going to go orange. That's my favorite color. So. Oh, I, love it. I love it. What is your least favorite word? Oh, um, there is a least favorite word, and now I'm blanking on it. Um, 
I said I was ready, and then it was lightning round, and I wasn't. Not least favorite word, but just an interesting thing. So chasm, I always think is supposed to be chasm. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I just feel like chasm more conveys the depth of a chasm. (laughs) I don't know. So we'll say that for now. I love it. What gets you excited? (laughs) What gets me excited? Um, Teaching, uh, video games, people, technology. Mm, mm, Yeah. Yeah. What turns you off? Um, I think just when people aren't as receptive to learning new f- things, yeah. like um, at least bringing some of that energy there, I-, I feel like can work pretty well. But when someone's just like not into it, like sometimes that brings me down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I feel you on that one. What sound or noise do you love? Sound or noise? So I was in marching band uh throughout nice. all of high school and so just like large instrumental ensembles oh cool that may be cheating a little bit but no like, i love yeah. that especially low brass um because whenever i would go to like all district band or things like that it'd have a, a really big um strong low brass section and so i went to a small high school so it was nice to hear more depth of additional instruments oh. and like yeah gosh I love it. that's good yeah. okay what sound or noise do you hate um, sound or noise, things that are like loud and sudden. Mm. Uh, and I know that's kind of a, a broad category, but I, I find that I like <laughs> jump at those or like unexpected. Sure. Um, yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, I think a little bit, like I mentioned earlier, um, UX design and like on video games, that yeah. would be cool. So if yeah. I didn't do anything related to higher ed, it would be, yeah, something user experience with software or video games. Yeah, that's super cool. What profession would you absolutely never want to do? Anything where I have to be outside all day. I'm more of an indoor oh. person. Surprise, surprise. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, right. I, I like staying indoors there. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, as students, faculty, and staff at WWU and well beyond listen to this podcast, what advice would you provide to the listeners as they embark upon or continue their own leadership journey? Yeah, so I think... Um, just seeking out any opportunities that you can and from a specifically a college perspective and maybe even a life perspective um, getting involved so whether that's a community organization an organization on campus uh, I learned a, a ton in my classes both here at William Woods and then I got my cybersecurity degree at, at Maryville and so did some online and some on ground schooling there but I learned an incredible amount from other experiences and other uh, either like travel opportunities. I did woods around the world here. Um, And so even though that wasn't specifically cyber, learning more about the world and just getting more experiences through some of those like clubs and organizations. Yeah, it goes back to your adventure. Yeah. I love that. All right, Nina, thank you so much for joining us. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. (laughs) Well, from us here at the Leadership Conversation, that's a wrap. Another episode in the books. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode featuring the one and only Nina McKee, instructor of cybersecurity at William Woods University. We want to thank Nina for her time, passion, and innovativeness. As we close, it's apropos to note that leadership is about considering how we can elevate the collective through the maximization of our own full potential. Nina stewards this idea each and every day with a healthy dose of creativity and passion as she creates the foundation for her learner's success and ultimately a safer world within our cyberspaces. We want to thank Nina for that and thank her for being here today. We hope that you've enjoyed this installment of the TLC and hope that you join us again next time. This is Tony and Earl 
Signing off and reminding you that our world is a pretty crazy place that is in desperate need of real leadership. However, our opportunity to lead is predicated on our desire to act, and that starts with you. Thanks so much for listening. Take care out there, and have a great day.